Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport. This is Series 19, episode number 8, which slightly spread to the four winds as I'm still in the Middle East getting ready for the season opener for the FIA World Endurance Championship. The WEC uh, has turned some wheels, at least in the prologue, after a little bit of a false start, but it's the 1812 kilometres of Qatar this weekend. We'll have coverage of FP3 and Quali on Friday and the whole race is live on Saturday from quite early in the morning UK time half past seven is when we'll come up for countdown to greens so I'm giving you fair warning of that and if you haven't caught up yet with our prologue programs they're all on the archive alongside a very nice little full field preview of the 37 entrants uh, by John DeGeese the uh, founder and editor of editor at large, I think he calls himself now, um, of Sports Car 365. At meantime, up in London is Tim Gray. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. And on a packed programme tonight, we have what? We have all the usual features. Uh, Excellent. We've got lots of news. We've got a big interview with uh, Ferdinando Canizzo of uh, Ferrari looking ahead to the uh, FIA World Endurance Championship uh, we'll be talking to Richard Dean uh, oh yes yes. we have Nick Damon uh, I'm guessing we don't have Shay Adam again this week no Shay Adam is uh, in the uh, in the wilds of Utah whilst she can still go snowboarding she is snowboarding uh, at every uh, every opportunity. At well, the in that case, we'll have to cover NASCAR and IndyCar on our own. Uh, um, right. Well, N- NASCAR did a passable impression of Mazda MX-5, um, and I don't know what you're going to talk about with IndyCar, so that'll be as as fun for me as everybody else. Um, at Specutainment, if you'd like to get in touch with me, uh, hello. I, I, I'm going to tell you that uh, replying to the uh, X. Still want to call it Twitter. Uh, this evening is going to be slightly different because my computer is doing about a million different things. But I can say thank you very much indeed to uh, Paul Smith for all of the nice things you've said about our prologue coverage. Uh, hello to Quattro, to Heath Giles, who's back at work this week, so listening to the first half of the show live and then catching up with the rest on the pod. Uh, here's a picture of one of last week's adventures uh, down the coast to Horsehead Rock. Where is it? I mean, it does. I've, I'll give you your due. We should have the gallery music playing here, Heath. Um, you're in Australia, aren't you? So you're in New South Wales. At, uh, Horsehead Rock at is in New South Wales. Yeah, very, very nice. famous. 
Yeah, very nice indeed. Um, and to uh, Ryan Walker, to James O'Donnell and everybody else who's tuning in. But we've got a lot to squeeze in because we are going to be doing our Formula One preview show. Nick Damon and I staying on for a bit of overtime after the show tonight, uh, which will make it very late where I am. Uh, so please stay tuned in for that. We've got a few drivers dropping in as well. Where would you like to go for our top story? Play the jingle, Tim. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Well, we're going to start with two wheels. Uh, so let's bring in uh, our two-wheel expert, Nick Damon. Good evening, Nick. And let's find you up as well. Let's good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. Good evening, everybody listening to land. And happy okay. new year. Oh, absolutely. Uh, because it is a new year for the uh, World Superbike Championship, which uh, had a delayed start in uh, Phillip Island at the weekend. Well, delayed, delayed second day. It didn't delay the start. It started on time, but then it delayed the second mm. day. Um, I've, I've, I've seen it described, um, uh, Nick, which is it's, it is an extraordinary headline, but I think it's probably right. Um the rules that were applied at the weekend were helping everyone. Everybody got something out of it. And certainly as spectators, we got something out of it. Yeah, I mean, because due to the resurfacing and, and of, of Phillip Island and the um, quite heavy tyre demands normally, um, Pirelli decided they weren't quite convinced that their tyres could last to 21 laps. So they mandated, they, they mandated a, a pit stop. And it was a proper pit stop. It wasn't like um, a, 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 a flag-to-flag race in MotoGP where they jump off bike one and jump onto bike two. They came in, stopped, and actually changed tyres properly. Um, they had, there, was a minimum, there was a minimum pit time, um, which uh, slightly caught out top rack in race one, where he was 0.1 of a second and 0.2 of a second too quick on him, and then got a five times penalty, which was 1.2 seconds, and very much caught out Johnny Ray in the first race when they loused mm. up the pit stop. Uh, and took him out of contention for points. I have a stat for you, John. I want you, uh, uh, let's see if you can answer my stat. Do you want to answer my stat? Okay. Go on. What happened, go. This, what happened this weekend for the first time in um, the Super Bowl, the history since we've had, the Super, since we've had three races? It's never happened before. So that's five years. It's never happened before in that time of those three races. We've had three races. We had new winners in each of the races. No, we didn't. No, Alex Lowe's no. won twice. Mm. Um, so Alex Lowe's won twice. What? What was that there? And uh, no, no. Uh, only Japan. No, no, no. Only Japanese bikes didn't win. Um, it was. Uh, I, do you know? I don't know. It's the first meeting in which one of the big three has not won a race. Uh, Okay. Which is yes. Johnny Ray, oh, Top was... Rack, and Alvaro Bautista. In fact, you have to go back through to the, the round three of 2018 for the last time that happened. Back into I, I the two race trying... era. Yeah, I was, I was trying to be too convoluted. I hadn't thought of the easy stuff. It was quite extraordinary. Uh, th- that, that pit stop, which effectively turned the, long, the two longer races into two of the Super Bowl races with a pit stop in the middle. I think they should do that every week because well, nobody had to worry about saving tyres. I think it's probably more, it have a more significant effect on uh, reducing Alvaro Bautista's advantage than the eight kilograms of weight he was carrying, to be honest, because, mm. you know, we saw very high performance from um, the Kawasaki and, and Alex Lowe's. Now, don't forget, Lowe's has always been good around here. So, 
doesn't necessarily mean that's in for the season but it does mean that the other bikes traditionally had issues in the second half of the race their rear tyre, specifically the Kawasaki and the BMW, were able to be yeah. a lot more um, competitive. So, you know, it's a, it was a you know it was a fantastic selection of three races. You know, we had um, surprises all the way. Alvaro Bautista um, very nearly um, upset my prediction from last week. I said he wouldn't win a race at all because he was leading to the last lap of the second race after an instant the first race in the relatively quiet Super Bowl. Um, but yeah, you had some some real stars. I mean, and and, and I think you'd have to the, the the two real stars of the event, despite Alex Lowe's leaving the uh, the race meeting with the most points, were both Italian. It was Nicola Belega, the the new uh, Ducati works rider, and someone else on the Ducati who's had four years off doing nothing. Was Andrea mm. Inoni, and it looked like he'd never been away. Um, I liked Alex Lowe's comment, mind you. I'm probably a bit old to be making moves like that at Lukey Heights. Uh, Alvaro Batista wasn't overly happy. He said maybe in normal conditions I'd pass him on the straight, um, but I'd, I'd lost uh, I'd lost the tyre. I couldn't lean or enter the corner fast into the last corner. I tried to be close, but I lost it on entry, and I couldn't get the power on. Um, Belega, he says, you can dream as much as you want, but maybe I don't realise what it's like. It's incredible. Uh, and... Uh, I can't say a lot because I'm still not realising what happened. Um, I was smiling a lot in my helmet when I saw my pit board with one lap and a three and a half second advantage. You can dream as much as you want, but when you have to do it, it's different. A brilliant start for him. Top Rack, he was a bit sad. Probably a story of what could have been on the BMW debut. There's certainly something there. Um, Didn't didn't quite... I mean, got a podium, didn't he, in 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 the actual short race. Um, but he's still having to save that rear tyre. Um, Tinko 11, the yellow... Hey, yellow Ducatis, how good did they look again? I remember yeah, yeah. When, we used to, when we used to get yellow road bikes. Um, first World Championship weekend for four years, as you mentioned, he was banned... I had a yellow Ducati road bike. Oh, uh, did you? Triple eight? No, no, I, no, 916. You had a 916 with a, 916, a yellow one? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Have you got any pictures of you on that? Because that I'd pay to see those. Because that I've was got a pictures, very small I've got, pic- I've got pictures of me on the triple eight and the SP four. I'm, mm. I'm not sure if I have actually. <coughs> but yeah, it um, broke down once. I actually got it stranded me at Silverstone once so, during the Grand Prix. So I, I mm. rode it to the Grand Prix because I was I live fifteen twenty minutes away. Mm-hmm. Did a day's work and came out and he'd done the Ducati thing and it had gone completely flat. And it, I remember it was actually it was me and Alan McNish trying to fix it. Uh, mm. And then we kind of gave up, and I got a. Uh, my wife came to rescue me. This is all very difficult during a Grand Prix with all the with all the um, parts and everything. And there's actually yes. a Ducati dealer just outside the gates of Correct. where I bought the bike, and and they were able to get their their van in and come in and fix it. Um, I think a regulator had failed or something. Um, yes, yeah, so I, I remember it took me three hours to get three hours to get to a 15 minute trip home because the bike didn't start. That was my story of my yellow Ducati 916. But it has a motorsport element because it broke down during the Grand Prix weekend. <laughs> well, Andrea Aononi was happy with his uh, yellow Ducati. I would have s- signed on the dotted line if you told me I'd finished P3 and P4. It's unbelievable. Uh, when you have a feeling, though, that you could have had a better result, um, it, it may be he was slightly disappointed. Jonathan Ray on the Yamaha, um, he said um, at, at Jerez, the back bike was fantastic in race rhythm with all the riders and we could compete for a podium that was when they were testing at Portimao not so much floating around the top five here we're in the middle of the poo except he didn't say poo um, 
Yeah, it was awkward, though, because Locatelli, his teammate, was having no, none of those problems. So no, it he wasn't. Like, it wasn't like, you know, it's a situation where they've got the bike well, wrong. It's just it's wrong for, for Johnny, it seems. Well, Locatelli said it was possible to win a race this weekend, and it's a shame not to win one. I'm sorry. Um, we need to forget about this one and look at what else we do. We were fast, and we could have won the race. We need to check the data and understand what happened. So, however... What it comes down to is a cracking season opener where everybody was in with a chance. Yet we know that there were some odd situations. Um, however, um, is are we looking at yet another? Um, are we looking at yet another false storm for BMW? Um, what does it mean as we go to Barcelona, to Catalonia, uh, for round two in a month's time? Can, can we act? Because Phillip Island is an outlier anyway. Always has been. Because you never know what conditions you're going to get at the start of the season. Um, do we take anything from that at all? Uh, no. Uh, well, uh, yes, you do. I think you, you, you say that uh, Nicola Belega looks like a much better teammate for Bautista than Michael Ruben Rinaldi. So Andrea Locatelli has shaken off a four-year absence due to his own fault mm. uh, very well. Um, you would say that BMW have got uh, a great rider but still seem to have the same problems they had before. The things yeah. going pop and tires. And, um, you know, Johnny Ray needs to sort, sort his life out. I think Bautista um, is kind of... Um, he said he's got over that injury. I think it's been a real... Long, you know, he, you know, let's be honest about it. Alvaro Bautista is super fit, but he is 40, and these things just take longer. There's nothing you can do about it, um, to fix out. So, and yeah, there were I think some, I, and there were some riders, uh, injured over the course of the weekend as well who were riding banged up. And I'm not sure we're getting the full story right now. That the injury, um, uh, Johnny Red did look like he was, uh, had it took a nasty Johnny Ray had hurt himself in, in testing, and correct. And quite a lot, and obviously Nicola Belega, who won the first race, and then was while scoring good points, was quite anonymous on Sunday. He lobbed, he lobbed it down the road during warm up, so he wasn't fitting out of yeah, either. Big one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean to answer your question, um, yeah, we, we, what we can take into um, Barcelona is we actually have no idea what's going to happen because we've learned mm. nothing from this race, that, which, which will which will play on to uh, the next race because yeah, it's all about as we know with, with long distance motorcycle races these days. By long distance, I mean thirty five minutes. Um, mm. It's all about rear tyres, and historically, yeah. that's been a Bautista and Ducati strength. Well, you talk uh, about uh, injuries, and uh, we're going to stay on two wheels and stay with injuries uh, as we oh. move to MotoGP. Oh, who's right. hurt now? Uh, I think. Well, the question... season hasn't even started yet. We had an incredibly injury-prone season last year where did we actually get a full grid of ride of the proper riders at any stage in Mortnor GP last year? Um, we haven't started before the season already, have we? This is Mark Marquez oh, and his right arm. Again? Again. Mm. Didn't know he'd hurt himself? Uh, well, we all knew he'd hurt himself some years ago. Oh, yeah, I knew that part, yeah, but I mean, I meant recently... Uh, according to a reliable uh, source, uh, the problems that Mark Marquez has been facing in testing is not adapting to the Ducati, but the state of his right arm. Mm. Oh, really? It's only two weeks to their first race, let's not forget. They're in Qatar the, uh, on La Salle circuit the week after the WEC, and they were only here testing, um, not last weekend, but the weekend before. So quite a lot of their stuff is just sort of, you know, parked up. 
ready to go. It's not a long time to get him fit. How many operations did he have, Nick? Four. Four, four over, over the course of two years. Wow. wow. And the big one where wow. they broke it and refixed it again, didn't they? They broke it, twisted mm. it, and put it back in again. That must have hurt. Oh, stop it. That must have hurt. Oh, <laughs> oh. that's horrible. Mm. Um, but he still wants to continue, does he, Tim? Of course he does. Because he's my so who is, who is your reliable source? Is his arm, then? Uh, this is uh, sources uh, close to Mark Marquez in the paddock. All right, close so to his right arm. So he wants it. He wants his left arm, maybe. <laughs> no, yeah. that's his right. This is right. Um, no, his left, left arm's arm. close to his right arm. His left, oh, right, his, okay. his left arm's the one who's putting out the information. Yeah, my, my much better oh, arm. Right. right. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Well. Well, I suppose we'll find out when he gets... Is there any suggestion that he might not start the season, then? No. OK. Because um, there'd be a bit of a... Well, would there be a bit of a scramble? Yeah, I suppose there would be, wouldn't there? Um, for his ride, as he's on a decent bike now. Um Meanwhile, Dorna's CEO, Carmelo Espeleta, uh, has responded to reports that MotoGP could be sold. Really? Well, anything could be sold. Anything could be sold, yeah. Probably, yes. probably, the, probably the Saudi Arabians, they're buying everything else at the moment. Talking to Marker, he said, the majority shareholders of Dorna's are investment funds which buy things to sell them. So we've always yeah. been from sale since the very beginning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that, I, I think that's an absolutely fair assessment, isn't it? Uh, Liberty Media are currently in talks to acquire Dorna. Are they? Are they? Mm-hmm. Interesting. <laughs> uh, four, three other uh, companies are interested, including Disney and Amazon. Right. Now that okay, is, so that is interesting. They're up to yeah, content. content. It's all about content. Content is king. Content but, is king. Yeah, you know, the, the, the key thing really is they need they need to stop being so Southern European centric. And perhaps Liberty might enable them to do that because Liberty certainly you know, enables F1 to be less European-centric. Mm. I think Disney True. would as well. Mm. Didn't Disney used to own a racetrack? Yes, they in had, Florida. The Oval they, they and had, Disney World. They had, they had, they ran a race there. They had an Oval within the park um, mm. as part of Motor World or something that it was called. And I, I think it ran once or twice. Right, ran IRL, um, didn't it? You ran IRL. Uh, it was in the split. You're right. Yes. Um, but it's I don't think anymore. there's a rule. Yeah, yeah, it no, doesn't I, exist I, anymore. Um, I, I think it, it was the Walt Disney World Speedway, um, and they had the Indy 200, which was an IRL, the Mick Yard, as they called it. I'd forgotten about that. That's very good. It closed back in uh, 2015, and. Um, it was a 1.6 yeah, At that point, track. it hadn't held a race for about 12 years, so cl- mm. there's closing and closing, isn't there? 1998. 2000 was its last race, yep. Yeah. You're spot on. Um, closure, uh, and it has been uh, demolished to make way for what was called transportation improvements and reconfiguring the Mag- Magic Kingdom parking lot and parking Entranced. They've Entranced knocked it down and made a car, car park. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. It did have a road section in the middle of it. Is that Janis Joplin? 
Yes. Mm. No, it wasn't. Pair of Paradise was, um, put up a parking lot. It was the that other was one. Johnny Mitchell. Johnny Mitchell, yes. Yeah. And that was called Big Yellow Taxi. That I've song. got my uh, late 60s Shantouses wrong there. Yeah, it's not unlike you, to be honest. Um, OK, uh, so content would be king. Anything else on two wheels before uh, we move Yes, on? well, while we're talking about... Uh, Formula, uh, sorry, MotoGP in the media. Uh, mm-hmm. We need to congratulate our friend uh, uh, in Germany, mm-hmm. who has uh, got a new job. Oh, who's that? Oh, oh, you haven't heard this? No. No. So uh, Sky Germany have announced that their new MotoGP commentator is Lucas Gajewski. Is he? Yes. Lucas Gajewski is the new Mortal GP commentator wow. for Sky Germany. Well, it's nice to see when the kids grow up. Don't they grow up so quickly? They do. Wow, that's amazing. Well done, Lucas. Oh, and well the good done, news Lucas, is we've man. all still got more hair than him. Well, that is true. And people wondering um, who Lucas is. He, he, he filled in for Joe and I for some of the Corentic races which during, um, during the uh, pandemic. When we couldn't travel. Yeah, mm. and he, he's done various bits and pieces when we've had multiple events, and he's popped. He popped up in Germany. I think he did. Didn't he do the recard? Um, did he do recard? Ah, mm-hmm. yes. And he, right. and he didn't he do the Sicily race as well? Mm. Do I mean the Sicily race? I think he might have done a Mugello. Yeah, Mugello, it was yeah, yeah, year we couldn't go to Mugello. Yeah, he must have done that. Yeah, absolutely. Hello to James Brown, by the way. Not that one. Does he um, feel good? He'll be. Yeah, well, I don't know because he said I might not be able to make it as the ultra marathon training is kicking back in, but I'll see you all on the pod. So he might be feeling <laughs> oh. less than good at the moment for his oh, ultra marathon. Overly fit people. <laughs> well done, James. Um, keep, keep it up. Keep running. No, still keep running. Moving on. Uh, while we're talking about uh, motorsport on TV in Germany... Mm-hmm. Uh, Sport Eins linked all these together. Yeah, yes, go on. Sport mm-hmm. Eins has signed a two-year deal to show the FIA World Endurance Championship. Has it? Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, is Sport Eins? Uh, uh, forgive my um, lack of knowledge on German television channels. Is that a free-to-air channel or is it a it's, subscription uh, channel? It's available to everyone on cable. So, it is, it, so it's a cable channel, Fr- but cable, a basic cable channel, as the Americans have called right. it. Okay. Fine. Have, have Eurosport not got like pan-European rights then? Uh, well, yes, but they're non-exclusive everywhere. Uh, okay, right. Except for the not 24 everywhere. hours of Le Mans, which is um, obviously not part of this contract with Sport Eins. They only get to show highlights of the uh, of Le Mans, but live coverage so, of all the races. Oh, excellent. And do we know who the commentary team for that is going to be? We don't. Okay, well they uh, are. But uh, uh, Anika Rodi, who is director of uh, media rights at Sport Science, said Sport Science will continue to be the home of live sport and emotional sporting moments in 2024, with WEC, an attractive racing series with popular driver personalities such as Mick Schumacher. Uh, the broadcast ah. underlines our motorsport expertise. I, I didn't they do it before, as well though. Once Sport Science where it was before, because I, I know there was quite a few people who managed to find a way to they watch may have Sport done it and put when it was ILMC. Mm, well, somebody in Germany was broadcasting it last year on on a on a platform that was easily obtainable, shall we say? 
And then mm. they put our comms over the top of it with voice of the WEC, jo- Johnny Palmer. Uh, <laughs> obviously, the uh, big attraction for them is BMW returning to uh, the championship for the first time in a quarter of a century. With two separate, with two separate programmes, one in each class. So, yes, uh, Mick Schumacher as well. Yes. So, and plenty of German drivers, actually. Um, yeah, Mick well, Schumacher is not the good. only German driver, but no, no, he's, no, no. he's the one that the press have picked up on as being uh, uh, attractive to broadcasters in Germany. Fair enough. Yeah, I can imagine that. Oh, well, good news. Good news for those of you who can um, uh, see those picks. Uh, in the UK, Eurosport for the race at the weekend are doing the opening hour and a half or so, uh, all the build-up and then the opening hour and a half, and then the closing two and a quarter hours uh, on Eurosport. There's a rather big bike race in the middle of it, cycle race, that is. If the, you've uh, got... It's Paris-Nice, yes. Uh, if you... Um, That's Bianchi, it's Bianchi Stad that, uh, Stad, it's the... Oh, the, is that one, is it? Uh, yeah, 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 the white road. Um, uh, but it, you yeah, can Paris get it on... Yeah, starts on Sunday, of course. But, of course, if you've got uh, the... Uh, Discovery Plus app, then uh, all of it's on there. And I think there's a commentary-free version as well, so you can there play is, our yes. across the top of it, um, as we'll be uh, covering it as usual. Uh, we are still the only live global free-to-air coverage of the FAA World Endurance Championship. We'll have FP3, uh, we will have qualifying, and we will have the whole I was going to say the whole of the 1,812 kilometres, but it will be, I think it'll be 10 hours. Yes. I don't think we'll get to 1,812. So, anyway. Uh, any more TV uh, No more news TV or? news, but I've got some branding news. Branding? Oh, yes. right. Uh, have you put it, did you put it in a hot flame first before you take it out, and will it sizzle? This, Not that type um, of branding. Uh, this might be... Almost a pointless press release, but not quite. Mm, okay. It's not quite dull enough. Okay. Uh, F1 Academy has agreed a partnership with global lifestyle brand Tommy Hilfiger. Right. The brand will design and provide all staff uniforms. Right. Its latest brand to support the upcoming season of F1 Academy with Charlotte Tilbury and Puma already on board. Yep. Uh, that means there are two still to be announced. So that that's a, a clothing and branding um, yes. thing. Very good. Uh, the car, the drink, the shoe. Those are the cornerstones. Remember Jerry Maguire? Pillars. Not cornerstones. Pillars, that's right. Because you can't Moving have five on. cornerstones. I mean, you could if you're building a pentagon, but... Moving on. Uh, apparently, Tommy Hilfiger is one of the most recognised global lifestyle brands, and it's a pleasure to welcome him to F1 Academy as an official partner, said Susie Wolf. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to personally thank Tommy and his team for sharing our vision and also in supporting young driver Nerea Marti. Mm-hmm. Uh, F1 Academy season starts uh, in Saudi Arabia on the 7th to the 9th of March, ironically. Yeah. Uh, what happened in 1986 in Indianapolis? Uh, what, what happened what? In Indianapolis in 1986. Um, 
What's it was the, the well, it was the seventieth Indianapolis five hundred. Yeah, that's uh, about right. It got rained out, and it was rescheduled for the following weekend. And Bobby Rahal um, won, and it was the fastest at that time. The fastest five hundred. It was completed in less than three hours. <laughs> we talk about something um, that didn't happen on track. Oh, uh, uh, oh, 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 oh no, I know what this is. It, it's is it the last time that it had any work done on it? Because there's been a huge Roger Penske and the Penske organisation have inst instigated a huge um, program of track improvements. They've replaced the safer barriers. They've done the catch fencing. They've put in new lighting. They've done all sorts of things. Is no, it, is there's been significant time? changes uh, since 1986, including uh. a brand new uh, infield road course golf course, new pagoda, uh, new mm. barriers all the way around. Oh, are you uh, going to have to tell us then? I was just guessing. Then. In 1986, Hullman and Company registered the trademark The Greatest Spectacle ah. in Racing. Ah, right. Yes, 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 they did. And it's uh, uh, for use to describe uh, any... Uh, right across motorsport of any type of motorsport and racing and 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 because i've seen the trademark um, a mm -hmm. few of you i'm sure will have seen it on socials the trademark i was going to say declaration it's not that um uh, submission um and yes and it and it's been it's been um their trademark has been infringed uh, challenged infringed thank you oh that's excellent Yes, excellent. Uh, Not for the first time, either. No, but let's talk about what happened last week. Mm -hmm. uh, who infringed the trademark? ESPN. 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 Who have their own trademark, of course. Wild that World Worldwide World Lead Lead Sports. Sports. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Is that a trademark? Mm -hmm. Mm hmm Wow, okay. Uh, they true? called it the greatest spectacle in motorsports, which is slightly different but uh, too close for uh, uh, IMS's lawyers. In fairness, they didn't call it. Well, they didn't call it anything because they didn't graphically support that in their trailer for the opening round of the F1, um, uh, the Formula One World Championship. They used a clip of David Croft's commentary that he's uh, used several times, including at Las Vegas last year. We'll come on to um, Las Vegas later. Hang on oh, a second. Okay. I'm, I'm, right, right. That's just so. If someone trademarks someone, yeah, yeah, I can see why you can't use it as a slogan on a poster, but you mm -hmm. can't even say it in commentary. Or can you um, say in commentary it's not then picked out? So if Crofty goes, "This is the greatest spectacle in motor racing," but it's just in commentary and no one picks it out, is that all right? Or is that apparently an that's fine. Uh, IMS it, it President was... Doug Bowles uh, told the yeah. Indianapolis Star, uh, we are aware of the use of our mark in what appears to be a broadcast promotional spot. And that's the difference. And that is the difference. It continues it to be disappointing used... that other series can't create their own brand identities. Ooh, bitch. It, well, it, it, it's not the first time that this has happened, though, Nick. And, the, and there was a... Um, I think it was a couple of years ago, Tim, wasn't it? Um, there was some reference to this, and uh, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway lawyers um, 
sent a sternly worded note um, and asked Liberty to cease and desist and tell everybody to cease and desist the, um, of using anything that infringed the trademark and the copyright. Um, and Should then we talk about uh, Miami? Mm. I'm going to Miami. Yes, Welcome that was Will Smith, but it was a different rapper, LL Cool J, uh, who did the drive introductions at the Miami Grand Prix. And what did he say? It's a great He's, spectacle in racing. Was it LL Cool J? It was LL Cool J. Oh, okay. Ladies love yeah. Cool James. Uh, he called it the greatest spectacle in motorsport. Mm. It's impressive that it hadn't happened at that point. Well, the previous years had. Not Las Vegas hadn't. No, we're talking no, about no, Miami. Miami. Oh, I said sorry. we'd come on yeah. to Las Vegas later. No, right. I'm stuck. Yeah. I'm in the wrong part of America. I do apologise. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did uh, NASCAR tweet ahead of the Daytona 500? The greatest spectacle in racing. They did indeed. What did they do <laughs> very quickly afterwards? Remove the tweet. They did, yes. Without even being asked. No. Someone, someone, some junior ex Twitter bloke, not whichever one it is, uh, obviously thought that was great. And then Barry went, um, you know, we can't say that, don't you? We um, speculated that it wasn't malicious, said Doug Bowles. We wonder yeah. it might have been an intern doing social who forgot that they're the great American race, not the greatest spectacle in racing. <laughs> Correct. Sounds <laughs> like American an honest race. mistake. Well, they tweeted out... Sorry, NASCAR tweeted out something ridiculous this weekend as well, didn't they? They tweeted out that... they said I think it was Atlanta this week. It was the four-wide finish at um, And they said that Atlanta. Atlanta. He said, there were six... Hey, this one meeting in Atlanta, we had six and a half thousand car uh, overtakes. That's more than F1's had in the last 50 years. And we're going, well, what's the point of that? What does that prove? No. It proves your overtakes are pointless, like scoring points in basketball. No one cares. <laughs> oh, you sounded like Max Mosley there. It's the, it's the expectation of somebody scoring a goal that makes it exciting. Basketball um, is a rubbish sport. It really is. I have, no idea how it, I have no idea how it's got so popular. I just think it's... Money. It's just, no, it's, it's Money. Even, forget that. It's just the, the sport. It's like, why, how can you get excited about something where, you, where they, you constantly score all the time and there's no anticipation? The whole point about sport is that moment when something happens, which is fantastic. But just, if it's happening every five seconds, you get bored. Honestly, I just don't. I genuinely, I love, I love most sports. You know, even obscure sports. Can't, I don't understand the point of basketball. That's just take the next left there. turn and come back onto the the road that we're on. Thank you. Okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Um, Sorry. Are you are you we, saying that you, you, the, the, the diversion is not we, right? <laughs> whilst we are uh, on the subject of um, inappropriate or uh, ill-advised, perhaps tweet somebody at Andretti, um, who probably wasn't alive uh, when uh, when this happened tweeted a picture of the test from Sebring um, where they were talking about the cars looking even better in real life um, than they do um, in pictures but instead of in real life they wrote capital I capital R capital L um, which obviously uh, that got changed rather quickly. Uh, <laughs> talking about the the split earlier earlier on. Um, so what's happening? Let's get back to the the point of this story then, Tim. What is happening? Um, Jay Doug Balls, we know um, we've met him. He's a smashing guy, and he is nothing if not pragmatic. Um, what's what's going to happen? It has been changed. I'm led to believe that there's been an apology from ESPN. So is, is there going to be anything going forward as far as we know? Uh, no further action unless there are further infringements. 
Mm. Who did Doug Bowles bump into at the airport recently? Um, I don't know. I wasn't there. David Croft. Steve Phelps. Right. Uh, who's president of NASCAR, if uh, you were wondering. Uh, and uh, they had a lovely conversation about uh, how well they all work together. Yeah. Fine. So, look, a rising tide floats all boats. I, I really, I, I don't like participating in which is better, this series or that series, which car is better, this car or that car. If you could have a pick of anything in the world, um, why, you know, what would it be? Um, and why would it be Le Mans, obviously? Um, <laughs> um, I said but, we'd go back to Las Vegas, so let's uh, go oh, back yes, to yes, Las, yes, Ve- <clears throat> Las Vegas. Viva Las Vegas. Yeah. Uh, what did the uh, marketing uh, people of uh, last year's Las Vegas Grand Prix uh, call it? The, the greatest, greatest motorsport. No, they called it the greatest motors race no, in the world. No. Or the greatest. What was the it? greatest racing spectacle on the planet. The greatest on the planet. Oh, I knew that it was. That, on the, yeah, that's surely that's enough change not to be a problem. No, it's not. No, it's not. So is it just basically the word spectacle that's the issue? No, uh, it's not any of the individual racing, words. Racist. It, it's not any of the individual words, Nick. It's like people who slightly change trademarks and then get called up for passing off. Um, even just using the same colours on a can of drink or something like that. Calling the caterpillar. You know, uh, Calling yeah. the caterpillar, exactly. Um, look it up if you don't know. Um, it, it's, it's about the meaning of of that phrase you can't actually trademark or copyright individual words it's the it is the meaning uh, the accepted meaning of a phrase put together um, so you can't trademark the or greatest or spectacle but it's it's how it's used in conjunction with the area of business that you're talking about in this case motor racing particularly circuit racing um, so, so, so Epson could call the Derby the greatest spectacle in racing. Horse racing, they might get uh, away would, with. Would they have to add the word horse? Because as far as Epson's concerned, racing means horse racing. No. I mean, they'd probably uh, be challenged uh, by uh, Aintree. That is true. That is a very good point. Mm. And Cheltenham, and probably mm. Ascot as well. <laughs> and Utoxeter. <laughs> no, okay, not you, Toxeter. <laughs> oh, I'd say the York Ebor meetings right up there. Though, isn't it? It's one of my favourite meetings. The Ebor meeting. Uh, it's always Pittman's... in August, so it's the height of sun yeah. summer. It's a beautiful city, York. Um, Northumberland Plate at Newcastle. The old Pitman's Derby at Gosforth. That's a great meeting as well. Surely, surely, is there not a race? Is there not a horse racing track near Doctor Pontees? Of course, there are. Yes, <laughs> yeah, several. dozens of them. Thirst. A, it's a big horse. Yeah. <laughs> Um, um, it, it, there's a it, there's a big actually tra- training um, there's a big training um, community in that area. Anyway, shall North, we move North on? Yorkshire is full of racing. Yeah, of course it is. Massive. Is Catterick sure up there as well? Yeah, yeah, Catterick's there. Catterick's a nice little course, really nice. Anyway, and of course on. Newcastle, well, Gosforth Park. Yes. Uh, what else did? Uh, <laughs> The organisers of the Las Vegas uh, Grand Prix uh, using their marketing. Oh, America's greatest race, the no. greatest race in the world. Uh, uh, sports Viva. and entertainment capital of the world. 
Why did they get into trouble for that? I don't know. Because I'm surprised they haven't copyrighted that. Does New York say it's all LA or something? Or uh, No, it's because they used it in the context of motor racing. Yeah. And uh, IMS owns the trademark Racing Capital of the World. There you mm. go. Which obviously okay. is uh, the uh, small town of... Uh, oh, no, no Indianapolis. Indianapolis. Speedway, sorry. Indiana, yes. yes. Speedway, Indiana, yeah. Sorry. See that's just that's just not true. It's not even true in an American sense because the capital of, of of motorsport in America is Charlotte, or Daytona, and, and the capital of motorsport in the world is is the uh, carbon fiber triangle. So, you know, bit harder just... to pick that out. In fairness, you know, a yes. triangle running <laughs> from <laughs> which across from Kettering. <laughs> yes, all right, exactly. Well, I, 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 therefore, I, I present Charlotte to you all. Oh, hello, Charlotte. How are you? <laughs> oh, sorry, I see what you mean. Um, anyway. Um, You're not going to argue that someone like Flitic is uh, the capital of the world because it's in well, the middle of the triangle. No, mm. it's not in the middle. It's more to the it's a bit south. It's a bit south. St. Neots? I would say you've got to go a little bit north and a little bit wherever's slightly west of here, so like Bister, I'd say. Uh, west well, of you? Know, you? Uh, what about East. Silverstone? No, West, yeah. So I think Silverstone, yeah, Silverstone, Silverstone. Yeah, you're right. I think Silverstone absolutely is, is, is the capital. Because you've got the team out around the door. You've got Brackley just down the road. You're 15 There's miles not a lot to King. the west of Silverstone, though. Brackley is to the west of Silverstone. Yes, it is. Uh, absolutely, yeah. it is. Endstone, I suppose, is west of Silverstone. Where's um, yeah. um, Chipping Norton? You know, you've Dick's got Dick's very south. But yeah, but it's still yeah. southwest, isn't it? Uh, almost, anyway, almost the point about it is, is that Mercedes south. engines up by Wellingborough, which yeah. is the again, other which way. is not west of Silverstone. No, no, no that's, it's, that's it's east. Close. That's what I said. The other way for Tim. The other way. Do listen. Well, within um, an hour. Hmm? And then you got, then you got Mil- the whole of Milton Keynes being owned by Red Bull RB and powertrains now, which it literally is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With their own security True. put forth. Yes, after really. I feel really we'll sorry because what, they, what the, the Milton Keynes estate, which obviously I know very, very well for Red Bull and RB, has slowly been taken over by them. Obviously, they started off with the original factory, which is the Stewart factory. They built another factory, then they, they actually took over the right hand corner for the um, conference center. They've now taken over another factory for the, for, the, for the F1 team and another factory they've taken over. They've built these, it's just like they've just taken over from companies already there, for, which they've then rebuilt for Red Bull Powertrains, which is Ford, of course. And they're now taking over another factory well. um, for um, the RB side of things, VCarb. In all that, there is a small uh, coffee distributor who's still there. That's right. That's right, there is. <laughs> I'm saying that these probably 50 or 60 employees who work for the coffee distributor now have to have a Red Bull pass to get into the compound. Because they're completely and utterly surrounded. A bit like that guy who refused it's got a to road sell block his... On, it's got a, yeah, it's got a proper, you know, barriered block they've built on both ends of the, of the road. It's a looping road round. You are still, it, currently, it, you're still allowed to run around it, but I expect that'll be stopped soon. It, it, it's a bit like that bloke who refused to sell his farmhouse um, yes, because yes. He, he didn't think M62, he was getting enough yeah. money when they built the X- M62. So they just yes. went, well, 
We'll build Whatever. round you. No, you won't. Mm. Oh, yes, they do. <laughs> and yes, he did. And he can't either. There's not even an exit or an entry to get on. He's got to go miles if he wants to use it. <laughs> so the uh, people who refused to sell their house in uh, West London, they built uh, the elevated section of the M4 over the top of it. Over the top of it. Correct. Yes, exactly right. Be careful what you wish for. Anyway, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It is Series 19, episode number eight. Tim Gray is up in London. And have have we done all of our trademarks and copyrights? And are we moving on? We are going to move on. Excellent. We're going to move on to NASCAR. Right. Okay. okay. But we're not going to talk about the uh, closest finish TM ever. Is that a trademark as well, then, is it? Mm, possibly, yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about uh, the second tier of NASCAR, which is... All right. What, Xfinity. Nick? Xfinity. Xfinity. And has been since when, John? Oh. Since it stopped being... Uh, nationwide. Nationwide. And that was in what year? It's 2017, I'm going to say. Oh, no, it's long. It's surely it's, it's longer than that. Is it 10 years now? It's nearly 10 years, yes. 2015 it started. It was a 10-year wow. contract. It was worth 200 ah, million US dollars. Mm-hmm. But there are rumours that Xfinity will not renew. A quick question. Right. What are Xfinity? It's the mobile phone brand of Comcast. Oh, right, okay. Who, right. Which broadcast does uh, Comcast own? Uh, Fox? NBC. 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 Uh, so it made sense for Xfinity to sponsor it because, you know, the Xfinity series was shown on NBC Sports. And now it's not, I take mm. it. Uh, the new uh, TV contract uh, for the Xfinity series uh, puts it on the CW network, which is owned by... Oh. I thought the CW network was for young girls, teenage girls on the whole. Well, haven't they... Hang on, didn't we knew this, though? We, we did know about this, this yes. Yeah, yeah, we talked about this months ago because it was it was a huge amount of money, um, and it and it puts it on a on a network that hasn't previously had a lot of um, certainly not live motorsport. Although I think they've they've had the some of the NASCAR reality stuff, yes, haven't they? Have, they? Yes. Um, so that mm, Right, that's, that's, I hadn't realised the backstory of that when we were talking about that a few months ago when that first came out. Were we not supposed to have been talking about it then? That was oh, the yeah, end we of were, last we were season, to talk about that then. Yeah, that was fine. Right. Okay. Uh, so the CW um, is owned by uh, Nexstar, which obviously is not Comcast. No, indeed. Mm. And... Um, do you want to move on to the NASCAR news or do you want to stay with broadcasting news? Because uh, there was news just in earlier today, of course. Was there? Oh, yes. And this affects a couple of people that we know, actually, because I'd seen uh, a note um, from Damien and Phil, who Phil Anson, who are the, the voices of uh, Formula One, where I am right now, in the Middle East. Um, and they weren't sure whether SSC, I think, were going to get it or whether they were staying. Well, it was announced earlier on today in Doha, London and Istanbul that Be-In 
have secured an exclusive 10-year broadcast partnership with Formula One across 25 countries, uh, which is Middle East and North Africa and Turkey. Uh, live and exclusive broadcast partner of Formula One until the end of the 2033 season. Includes all practice and qualifying sessions, sprint events and Grand Prix, together with Formula Two and Formula Three, plus Porsche Coupe Super Cup, of course, Middle East, North Africa and Turkey. And includes a new content partnership to curate original content for the region with Doha as dedicated content production hub. Um, okay. And, and what's that have a bit mean in English? Um, uh, well, it's cha- basically that's a change from um, whoever the, the, it was before. The, yes. 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 Indeed. Was it MBS uh, before? Uh, yeah. M- NBC. Yes. NBC. M- NBC and um, is that and is that a switch from effective free to air to paywall? Um, there are some free-to-air being channels correct. in the Middle East and North Africa, so it depends correct. which one they want to put it on. Was B uh, in the, B- was B, when, when there was a huge row between yes. the yes. two parts of um, the, uh, the Middle East, was yes. B in the one that was being pirated? Yes. Yes. Yes, B, B in is Qatar, and when there was the political upset that meant Qatar couldn't fly to places and people weren't allowed to fly through Qatar airspace and all that. We lost, every time we went to the Middle East, we lost all the being channels, which was where all the football was, of course. Um, and they still haven't really reappeared. So it still hasn't. The detente that was... And, and the genuine... Uh, the genuine uh, joy of Qatar getting the World Cup, the FIFA World Cup out here for the region. Um, it still hasn't quite um, permeated all the way down. Um, 35 countries worldwide then, BN will be the official broadcaster uh, of Formula One. Content specifically focused on the large and passionate audience in the MENA re- uh, region, which will include Doha becoming a dedicated regional content production hub, um, which is where BNR based, by the way. 4K, UHD, uh, on BN Sports and TOD, uh, Arabic, Turkish and English commentary available. Do you want to know what um, what Stefano De Manacali said? Go on then. Thanks for the cash. We love money. Uh, since Formula One first raced in Bahrain in uh, 2004, we've seen the growth of passionate fan base in the Middle East who love to go racing with BN. We found a partner who elevate the broadcast experience and create best-in-class programming that delivers against our mission to showcase the drama and spectacle of Formula One. Oh, we said spectacle. Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, uh, spectacle of Formula One for our fans at home. He didn't say greatest, though, did he? Uh, no, showcase the drama and spectacle. Yeah, yeah. that's fine. Okay. Uh, um, going back to NASCAR they were all, then. Sorry, they were, they were already uh, exclusive uh, in 10 countries yes. up until the end of 2025. So there'd now, uh, now be 35 countries all the way through to, uh, what did I say, 33. So there we go. That, that news coming to us this morning. Uh, let's go back to NASCAR then. Okay. This also could be a pointless press release of the week. It was a race of remarkable ebb and flow. A race of Mm. breathtaking four-wide action into corners not built to accommodate such daring do. (laughs) 
Never known he had written this one. Uh, did they actually write Daring Do, not Daring Do? No, which Daring is a lot Do, D-E-R-R-I-N-G. Excellent. Well, oh, no, no, they're getting points for me for actually getting the uh, getting the cliche right. <laughs> Excellent. It sounds like it's come from the wizard. It's come from Reed Spencer, who obviously right. uh, has uh, a good knowledge of the English language. And Excellent. it was totally well, appropriate that Sunday's and Better Health 400 Cup Series race at Atlanta Motor Speedway would end in a three-wide photo finish with Trackhouse Racing's Daniel Suarez eking out a victory over Ryan Blaney mm. by what looked to be an inch or two at the finish line. It was very, very close. It was a point double or seven of a second or something like that. Between the top three, yes. Mm. Um, it was very reminiscent of Lightning McQueen, the Lightning McQueen finish that we had in um, at 2021 at, at Sebring in um, Master MX5. Um, and we do have a Lightning McQueen car, uh, coloured car now in uh, in MX5, so we, we have to do that again. Um, it came off a late race restart, didn't it, Tim? Um, if, I, if I remember rightly. I didn't get to see it, unfortunately, but I've seen a few clips of it. It's great. It's great. The overhead shot was great. The, the shot from the um, the shot from the starter stand is incredible. Mm. It, it, I mean, we might use that, that as the uh, picture for our uh, on the uh, website for this uh, for this episode. Do you, do you reckon? Well, I, it's such I, a good either picture. Either that or our guest. Either, either that or our guest. It's up to you. We'll see. Okay. It's, it's a better picture than the picture of our guest because the picture of our guest got you in it as well. Why well, you, you can clip me out? I crop you just out. Need a microphone in and me thumb, as in you know, creature comforts, if you will. Anyway, yes, it was excellent, and um, everybody was very excited about it. And um, the Shane Van Gisbergen did really well in his race again. Um, he got on the podium, didn't he? He was third. Gizzy oh, in Xfinity. Oh, in Xfinity, probably. Didn't look at that, um, which is also track house as well. Uh, so it was a pretty, um, uh, it was a pretty good weekend for them. Uh, uh, when was the last time Daniel Suarez won a race? Uh, I think it was three years ago. Yeah, it was more recent than that. Oh well, last year. Yes, it was uh, June 2022 at Sonoma. So he yes. couldn't have picked a more different uh, track to get no, his not uh, at all. second win. Mm. Uh, Austin uh, Sindrick was fourth. Yeah. Uh, Van Gisbergen did get third uh, in Xfinity. He's just his second race in Xfinity. And uh, so, as I said, good weekend for Trackhouse. They start their Mortal GP. Um, excitement and programme next weekend, don't they? Or weekend after. Yes. Now, uh, we need to talk about uh, the FIA World Endurance Championship uh, because uh, you, earlier in the week, uh, went and had a chat with uh, Richard Dean, and you're going to tell us why. Ah, yes. Well, we had a couple of chats with Richard Dean, one of which opened our first show. And if you haven't heard that, it's still available to download. The second one was to um, underline the fact that one of the United Autosport cars had topped the uh, data 
in at Daytona for the Crowd Strike Endurance Teamwork and Speed Award. And uh, they'd actually just got the email from IMSA to, uh, to tell them that. Uh, so we thought it'd be a good idea to effectively square the circle because we talked about it at the end of the race at Daytona. So I sat down with him outside of his villa in the uh, Lucille, at the back of the Lucille pit lane to explain the whole situation to him. Well, if you're listening to IMSA radio with any degree of regularity, you'll know that we started up this season uh, in promoting and being a part of the CrowdStrike uh, award for uh, endurance, teamwork and speed. And this is a data-driven award which adds up uh, various points for qualifying, for lap times during the race, etc. And a bit like golf, it's the lowest number that wins. And within each category, uh, there is a potential winner. And then at the end of the races, they hand it over to our broadcast team to look at them and put it in context of the race that those particular cars had uh, to be able to come out with a single winner. And for the Rolex 24 Hours at Daytona, it was the number two car in LMP2 from United Autosport. And Richard Dean is with us. Now, first of all, congratulations, because you it's not always good. This uh, award is not always going to be the winner of the class. And you guys had to fight a, a little bit of... Uh, uh, a little bit of problematical race uh, at Daytona, but still got a good result. Yeah, I think you know the, the number two car was was on pole in class and uh, great lap from uh, Ben Keating. You know, I think that was his fifth consecutive pole there or something like that. So you know, we knew we had the pace. I believe that we uh, there was a number that came out that we led something like. 250 of the first 350 laps so the first 12 hours sort of felt like we were in control we, we then had a little bit of damage to the car which didn't put us out of the race but it was too much to fix without bringing it behind the wall the race was just fierce you've got no time to put it behind the wall so we had to sort of live with it took the edge off the performance for the second half of the race and we hung on trying to hang on into the to, to the lead lap so we we came away disappointed because pole you know with a very fast car with a great driver lineup we felt we had every chance to win but it's daytona so fabulous to come away with something with this uh, crowd strike award and as i say it's it, it isn't just people plucking something out of the air they do actually look at the at the data as you'd imagine from a, a company like like crowd strike what it underlines richard is the typical Yorkshire grit of of United Autosports, the never say die attitude, and the fact that every single person on the team, particularly at a twenty four hour race, and particularly at a twenty four hour race like Daytona, which is run at such pace nowadays, they've all got to do that bit. Yeah, and, and it is like you say, it's a motorsport thing. It's not just our team. You know, the motorsport, the spirit, and the push to keep to you know. We've, we've had a setback in the race, but you don't give in. You just keep pushing, and I think the teamwork element of the, this award um, it's really important because there's very, very few occasions that the guys who are, you know, working all the way through that race and you know in the heat and the the, the, the pit stops and never give up and don't change their approach and attitude is very very 
rare occasions that they get a, a recognition. So, you know, credit to CrowdStrike for giving an award that's got the word teamwork in it. Uh, it's, it's very much appreciated. Well, I've seen the trophy. It's very nice. Uh, you'll get it when you uh, rock up at Sebring for the 12 hours, and I'm sure it'll be in pride of place back at uh, United Autosports HQ. Yeah, I'm very proud to receive it as well, so thank you. Midweek Motorsport. Half time, and while we swap ends, here's what's coming up. We will be talking FIAWEC, actually, quite a bit of FIAWEC because at LaZale International Circuit uh, this weekend there will be on track. It's a Saturday race, and we'll be on the air on Friday for free practice three and for qualifying as well as the whole of the 10 hours, because that's what it will be. Live, uh, Nick and I discussing cars that have been out on track now. They were a bit late on parade, but they did get out on track, and our thoughts from that. Uh, we'll have a little bit of F1 news as well. Some of your submissions, please, on at Specutainment. But we kick off the second hour with a very special guest. This interview recorded earlier this week in the paddock at Lausanne. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. Well, I've stepped out of the sunshine here in the paddock at Qatar, and I'm delighted to say that uh, Ferdinando Garrizzo uh, is uh, alongside me. He's head of uh, endurance race cars for Ferrari. So listen, when we talk to people, we go right to the top. This is fantastic. First of all, sir, thank you very much for your time. What a year for Ferrari last year. We must start with that, uh, with uh, success for both of the new models, the GT3 and the 499P. Um, Tell me a little bit about all the hard work that went into that and uh, what the feelings were within the programmes. Well, definitely it's a a year to remember, for sure, for everyone. Uh, it's difficult to to forget. Definitely difficult to forget. And the more we pass, the more the feelings are, let's say, coming out in the, in this proper you know way. And so we are appreciating even more what happened last year. Uh, yeah, it's it's closing. Uh, 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 I would say two years of very hard work for all the team. Uh, we stolen a lot of time from our families, and we. You know, as as long as we start the project, we definitely focus on uh, on that. Uh, as you mentioned, we run two projects in uh, parallel: the GT3, the 296 GT3, and the 499P. Was not easy for a small team like we are. Uh, but uh, you know, the success that we have achieved last year were somehow paying off all the effort. I mean, the season started very, you know, very steep. In Daytona last year, in which our 296 GT3 was facing some issues, and it was our first race. That was uh, was interesting for us because mm. it gave us a lot of indication. And when in uh, you know in spring we were able to win the first 24 hours in Nürburgring, was uh, you know an outstanding achievement for all the people working around the, 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 the GT3, and giving also some confidence to the team of the Fona P that uh, something is feasible even uh, in a short mm. period of time. Uh, of course, uh, the pole position we get in Sebring last year was also some, something amazing, because uh, you know we 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 know that uh, the job we did was very very effective. We ran mm. for nine months, not stopping on track, 
at home, trying to care everything about the phone and IMP. And when we saw that our car was reasonable competitive against the top performance car, yeah, this gave us a lot of confidence. So associated with the, the success of the, the, the 296 GT3 in we were arriving to Le Mans with some confidence, but still with a lot of, uh, you know, humility that, uh, you know, the, the, the path was, it's still very long, you know, mm. the way to go, and uh, we need to take our uh, feet on the ground and keep working hard. Of course, uh, uh, we were able to finish the race with both two cars in Le Mans. This was the first things to mention, that uh, no major problems or no stopping problems. One only one thrilling one. <laughs> you gave us all a heart-stopping moment, but that was dealt with in such a calm, collected uh, way. Was it almost for us in the commentary box? It was almost like time stopped. I suspect that it was similar for you guys too. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, as you remember, this happened twice in the race on the car fifty-one, and the first time clearly was a little bit of surprise for us. So. We took uh, the stint after the first time uh, just to understand what to do. I was just doing the countdown for the team, just to say, guys, five laps, nine laps, <laughs> five laps remaining, so we need to decide what to do at the next beat. But the, the, the team was, as you said, discussing in a very calm way, and we followed the procedures. We understood first the problem that it caused. It was nothing uh, really uh, problematic, but we found a way not to, uh, you know, to, to do, not to happen anymore. Uh, actually happened last time, the last beat. And uh, I guess this was actually due to the fact that we didn't follow exactly the procedure. Mm. Uh, but then we prepared and uh, and went also share with the drivers. We put our procedure on top of the roof of the car so the you can see from the camera car that the drivers were looking uh, up nice. and apply the procedure and the race engineer was suggesting to stay calm, do the procedure, do the procedure and then everything was... was. So this uh, allowed us to keep calm, mm -hmm. keep focused on the problem and it was, uh, if, if you like, the way we manage everything even in the past, you know, it's... I'd like to talk, if I may, a little bit in, in slightly broader terms about the concept of the two cars. With uh, Ferrari GT cars, sports cars, there's always a weight of expectation. So we'll talk about the GT3 first. The opportunity was there for you to come into a, a new rule set and make the best of that. And it seems for me looking from the outside you've optimised every single part of the car not just for performance but for serviceability and at the Nürburgring in fact we saw the ease at which you could change the rear end of the car the more I look at that car the more things I see um, things that are technical and things that are beautiful they seem to go hand in hand with Ferrari I must say um, Give me an idea of the process that went on when you knew you were going to replace the outgoing car and with particularly the thought on uh, GT3 going to Le Mans. Well, I mean, it's uh, as you said, uh, we, uh, when we started 296 GT3, we were trying to learn everything, uh, let's say, from the 488, which mm -hmm. was a great car. But uh, nevertheless, uh, we, we keep improving, and we during this operation all through these years and a lot of success, we identified some areas that could be entitled to be improved. And so this is what we did. We would wanted to have uh, the same excellence of the 488, 
but also improve these areas uh, that uh, thanks also to the new regulation c- mm. could be improved. And the target was we want we would like to have a perfect race car <laughs> that comply, of course, with the GT3, but it's a race car which our customer can enjoy to the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the challenge was uh, was quite difficult, and uh, but uh, you know the, what we had in mind is now there, and is ju- and I think we have a lot to do still to optimize all the other all the details, but the base is very good. Mm. And uh, we can only improve, and uh, you know. So it's uh, n- not not a, not a, not not uh, a bad base. Then when uh, we learn that we can bring the car in Le Mans, mm. this was uh, I mean uh, another good good news for us. And uh, we know that with this base we can uh, we can have good potential. And so we need to focus. Uh, it's still difficult. It's 24 hours is always a question mark, of course. And uh, but as we did in the past, as we did uh, for Nurburgring or Le Mans last year with the 49P, I think we need to be, or recently also in uh, in Daytona, we need to stay focused on the on the race, on the car optimization, on doing things uh, in the perfect way, and uh, and then the results uh, will tell us whether we work well or not. The the 296 and the 499 were being developed alongside each other, as you said. I again, I look at the GT3 car, and there are elements of prototype thinking in that car, particularly around the the aerodynamics on that car. That's true. I mean, it's uh, same same uh, same uh, let's say minds that uh, thought about the concept of the two cars, and uh, we try to 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 bring uh, all the good experience we had in the GTT on the 499P, mm-hmm. and vice versa, yeah. or if you like. So, I, when I say that. Uh, we would like to have the GT3 like a proper racing car. Mm-hmm. Means that we have implemented something that is uh, more specifically of a prototype. Yes. So somehow that car is uh, is a prototype with a GT looking. Yes. And and that's make us proud because it's, it's it, we have a racing car. Yes. We have a GT3. Yes. We have something which uh, is derived from the road cars. There are yes. a lot of elements for that. So this proved that. Uh, how our road cars are prone to to become race car in a, in a, in a you know in a quick way, and uh, but this was the experience we collected on the GT3 was were very very important for the 499P because uh, I think there are a lot of things that we shared between the two programs, uh, including the engine, including uh, the, the the 499P. We've told the story before, but 499 is the uh, swept volume of each of the cylinders, and and the engine. Essentially, the architecture of the engine is is the same between the two cars. It's totally the same. I, I have to say that it's the same as the road cars as well. Huh? So we kept the same oh. architecture, which is uh, was quite uh, you know uh, challenging for us. Mm-hmm. But uh, the results are proving that we were right. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, we 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 bet on what our colleagues did for the road cars, and and we try to exploit the the, the advantage of that uh, configuration of that architecture. Of course, with the let's say uh, some modification just to you know light the engine mm-hmm. or have a stressful a stressed engine on the 49p of course but i think uh, the the core of the engine is the same and mm-hmm. this makes us proud of the synergies that we were able to do and your engine uh, your engine designers and your engine department of course have a huge amount of experience including with the formula 1 engine and the way gas flows within cylinders, within cylinder heads, and things like that. Was the 
an, an opportunity to use some of that knowledge in optimizing the engine for both the cars? I, yes, we the the amount of collaboration that we had within Ferrari, all departments, it's huge with this uh, with both these programs, specifically for the Formula and P. And uh, you were talking about Formula One, and yes, on the power unit there was a lot of collaboration, mm-hmm. uh, uh, specifically on the airs system and the energy recovery yeah. system, yeah. which we share a lot of of things together. And uh, this is uh, a sign of the fact that uh, Ferrari is more and more one company only one or one company behind our programs and uh, every program is benefit for the experience that we are making you know in every in every project and it doesn't just trickle down at the road clerks it flows down like a waterfall as clearly as you've mentioned there you you said about the the gt car the gt3 car um and, and the back and forth there but of course particularly in design wise the aco want the hypercars to look like road cars as well and to have more than a passing resemblance my goodness you've done a fantastic job on that it, it does that help in terms of i use this word selling the program to the organization it has it, it has ferrari all over it that card and not just because it's red and with ferrari written on the side well not that really i mean uh, we we clearly presented the program like uh, uh, let's say our opportunity to continue our involvement in the endurance top uh, racing, you know, with professional drivers and so on, and uh, it was accepted and approved before the management knew about the real shape of the car. Ah, okay, cool. Uh, I mean, we were clearly progressing on the design, but at that time the car was more technical uh, dressed rather than. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, styling addressed, if I can okay. say this way. This came later, as long as we have finalized the arrow, and mm-hmm. then we start involving the the design team mm-hmm. and that worked uh, with us, uh, you know, in a brilliant way, without uh, compromising any performance of the car, but mm-hmm. just adding the right element to make the car so beautiful and so yeah. nice uh, by looking at the first time. So. Uh, this was uh, arrived later. I think it was not key element for the decision. <laughs> Maybe the, the key element was uh, uh, we would like to, to be competitive. This was the key element, and it was for us very, very difficult to say, okay, we will go for that. Yes. <laughs> but at the end, it was, uh, it was good. Were you satisfied with last year? You achieved so many things. You could have won Sebring. We talked about being on pole position. So could have won Sebring. Um, safety car came out early on at the wrong time for you guys. And if you'd stayed out, it might have changed the 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 race. So everything came together so quickly. Well, I mean, as I said, we worked nine months, day and night, and uh, in order to prepare every race. What uh, satisfied me the most is the fact that in every race we were able to arrive at the end of the race with both cars. Yeah. No major, uh, no reliability problems, just one accident uh, uh, in Spa. When it's the only race in which we, will not, we didn't arrive with two cars. Mm-hmm. But so this is the first things that uh, satisfy me. So bring the cars always to the checkered flag. Mm-hmm. The second is that the car is inherently well done seems in very well done with a lot of things to to improve that's we know that we are not at the same level as our fast competitors but the base is is is, is not bad and so this is conf- let's say uh, give us some confidence and um, and then of course third thing if i can say 
the results we have achieved in the victory on Le Mans, it's a kind of uh, cherry on the cake, you know what I mean? C- certainly is. So here we find ourselves at the dawn of the 2024 season. Uh, both of the projects have moved on apace. Uh, the GD3 project is always going to be customer-driven, and uh, that, we know that, and you guys have got a great, Ferrari have got a great history of supplying customers. Um, there are a lot of people who want your GT cars. I suspect you've had to disappoint some of them, because I'm sure you can't build them fast enough. We now come into 2024 with the 499P, and you've increased the number of cars in the FIA World Endurance by 50%. There's an extra car there. What additional challenges does that bring to Ferrari? And is it a measure of how complicated these cars are that, for now at least, AF Corsa is still running the third car? Well, we are, uh, we are behind the, even the third cars as Ferrari, mm-hmm. so running the cars as cars is very complicated. So it's, uh, it's, 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 at the moment, it's not easy to run for a customer mm. alone, the car. So the manufacturers is uh, fully involved in, the, in, the, in running the car. Uh, but uh, so I don't think this is the most difficult uh, uh, task. I mean, uh, clearly we have increased our our people and, and uh, you know within the department uh, to support this uh, third car and this uh, uh, program for this year and the, the next years. Uh, but I think uh, the most difficult uh, job that we have to do is to keep uh, our cars competitive, mm-hmm. so follow with the development speed. You know the and as as our our competitors are doing, or even faster than them, if we want to catch their performance. So I think this is the most difficult stuff. So we have to learn uh, or keep learning fast, mm-hmm. and and try to understand how manage the evolution of our cars in the best way, mm-hmm. either to offer the best car to the customer for the GT3, and to be competitive or fully competitive with the Formula AMP for the coming seasons, for this seasons and the coming season. So this is, I think, is the most difficult stuff, associated to the fact that we cannot stop looking at the next uh, year, so in two years' time, what we ne- we have to look forward, so we need to work also for the long term, and, mm-hmm. and this is uh, stealing some part of our thought mm-hmm. looking forward. No LMH car from the WEC ACO rule set has yet raced in IMSA. Of course, the IMSA LMDH cars are racing here and have done uh, since the two rule sets were put together. Ferrari has a great history in North America. Um, Giuseppe Ricci has been a fantastic supporter of you. Do you look at the United States and think outright victories at Daytona, at Sebring, at Petit Le Mans? Is that something that you can be looking at? Not now, but is it at least a, an opportunity, a thought process for you? Yeah, at the moment, definitely, as you can see, we are focusing on the WC, which is uh, quite, uh, uh, a, a, let's say, a tough job for us and requires a lot of effort because running three cars is not a, that easy. <laughs> and there still remain that we are a small group. And, uh, and so we need to find resources uh, and, uh, and, and for, you know, inside to, for that. Uh, I cannot say that uh, this will not happen in the future. I mean, I'm moving uh, to... To some races in US or if the full championship I don't know at the moment uh, uh, as, as, uh, as team as technical team we are focusing on, uh, on running the WC 
and the best way. And then uh, I think when we are ready, then we will see what we can do to extend our experience uh, around the world. We can't wait for that when it happens. We really, we really hope there's a lot of people in the US who'll be listening to this who will be licking their lips in, in delight with that and in uh, hope that that does happen and it can happen. We'll finish with this thought. You said at the beginning of this interview that the aim was to make cars that were competitive. Um, both of the projects did really well last year. In some ways, did they almost do too well? Because now you've got to do that again for 2024. You've got to take it on another step. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, but this is always part of our history. At the end, when we do something in Ferrari in general, the the, the first question that came into our mind is uh, now how we can do better. Because the car you just did is so nice that you say, okay, but how nice or performing. So it's how we can do better. But uh, we always, and the history is, is, is always teaching us that to, uh, by working hard, we are able to do better. Mm-hmm. So we need to stay calm and focus it. And uh, this season is probably the most challenging one for us because the car is basically the same as last year. Mm-hmm. We need still to, you know, to scratch everything mm-hmm. we have because there are no modifications on the car at the moment. And to, understand, to be competitive, understand what come the next or which area we need to work to improve the car so mm, we we need to stay focused uh, keep our humble approach uh, let's say with the same uh, you know uh, i can say uh, learning or when willing willing to learn uh, willing to progress and uh, and um, and i think if we apply this on our daily work mm-hmm. we will succeed the the technical group for the ACO Thierry Bouvet and the rest of his very clever colleagues they take a, a performance of the car and rate it at a percentage let's say 100% is everything going perfectly well in a race how close to 100% did you get last year and, and where do you think the 1% or half of 1% are for you to improve without having been able to change the car substantially well this is a very difficult question uh, I think I think there is still some room for everyone in every race because uh, a race is never perfect, you know, under a certain condition. And even when you win, I mean, it's, there is something that you can improve. Uh, difficult, which is the percentage that is left for us to improve, is is not easy. Uh, what's uh, for sure is clear to us is that the more we run the car and the more we have, uh, let's say fixed the, the main issue or the biggest issue of reliability that we had um, in the past, mainly during the development phase and, um, and some, uh, some other issue that we faced or, you know, area of improvements that we found during last season, for sure it's, uh, we are more confident that we can do better. But on the other side, uh, being constrained by the fact that we cannot change too much in the car, mm-hmm. uh, there is some uh, asymptote that we can clearly achieve soon wish you all the best in that it's been wonderful following these two projects side by side I realise that you've got to tell people that you can't win Le Mans every year it's not always going to be like that but I know you'll be trying just as hard throughout the whole of the WEC season thank you very much indeed for taking the time to talk to us very pleasure for me to talk to you
Uh, and our very great thanks to Luca from Ferrari, who set up that interview for us earlier in the week, uh, into the second hour now of Midweek Motorsport, head of endurance racing cars, talking to us there about this sort of whole world approach, Nick, which, let's be quite honest, we haven't always attributed to Ferrari. They've, you know, sort of, you know, worked on their own. Um, but it's clearly paid off with the new GT3 car and the new 499 um, in the approach that they had in the first year. Um, they've added this third car, as as we said there. And it, that car is effectively, it's, it's it's another string to their bows. I think what I said to James Collado earlier in the week when he was talking to us about the whole nine drivers working together. Um, but it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Because it's 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 just another tool in the box. Well, yeah, it's exactly the same as we used to see from Audi um, back in the day when the mm. third car would turn up uh, for Le Mans. It, you know, it's, it's you know they've 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 kind of I don't know why. But, marketing reasons or entry reasons they've entered it under af courses moniker and it has a reverse color scheme just to make it look slightly different but it's you know it's it's the third car and we've seen th- we used to see third car. i think we've always been i think we were quite surprised on a number of occasions toyota never decided to run a third car mm. at, uh, at le mans so yeah i mean and and you know, you're, the fact is, yes, it's a Ferrari, it's a works Ferrari, but obviously a lot of it is run out of AF Corsa, and AF Corsa um, know how to run multiple cars to a high standard. So, yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it's the only way forward. And it's obviously, you know, given the current testing results, you know, it's it's, it's certainly up there and with the chance of, of taking honours. Well, and what we should say, uh, out of everything else, um, and I, I kind of, I, I was sort of listening to that again, and sometimes you don't hear things when you uh when you're doing the interview you do as much as you can but um um i i, I need to go and listen again particularly to what he said about the the us stuff because that was really rather interesting um but it's quite clear that they're coming to this season knowing what they've got to do and i like you know the, the question that I put them about, well, you did rather well last year. Is that almost you did too well and you've got to keep it going? And they know what they've got to do to improve, it sounds to me. Um, and uh, uh, will there be a force to be reckoned with all the way through? I wouldn't back against it, to be honest, because I think looking at the testing, and it is only testing, this is much closer than I expected. And I saw a few, if not long faces, slightly concerned faces at Toyota. And again, listen to the the prologue programs with Rob Loipen talking to me, um, with Nick De Vries talking to me. Um, they know they've, they've got a scrap on their hands. And it's not just from Ferrari, it's from the Porsches as well. Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's a much closer field than we saw at this time last year. The, totally. the major advantage that Toyota had, which was operationally more than anything else, car was great, but they had a huge operational advantage, which they'd earned because they'd done it by being in the series and working the series for many years. And that and that was, you know, something you, you have to learn. Now, obviously, everyone's gone through an accelerated learning process to also learn how to run at the WEC and how to learn how to run at Le Mans. So that's one advantage gone. They, they're obviously unhappy about the current what they've been given the car's been quite slow and they keep referring to that and you have to go okay are you really slow or are you being slow for effect um you know we've seen that in the past um mm. but 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 looking like the LMDH has have got more of a chance uh, to compete against the hypercars. You know, it it yeah. wasn't quite so easy last year, and you can okay, is that development? Is that is it uh, that, that the fact that you know, let's not get too funny, but is it the fact that the ACA wants wants to be absolute guarantee a hypercar won the first year because the hypercar is their is their mm. concept and the LMDH is the American concept, so. You know, it may well be that some of the LMDH teams took the pain of not being really allowed to uh, to succeed in the first year, um, and now they can uh, it can be a more even playing field because the points being made. The, the fastest session, <laughs> the fastest session um, was one um, which was an optional session because of the late arrival um, of of half the paddock, really, for probably a bit more than that in terms of cars. Um, it, there was a complete rejig if you haven't been up to date with that and therefore there was an option to do uh, either the first session or the last session but not both the first session on tuesday or the last session on wednesday the second and third the, th- the second and third sessions were mandatory um sorry it was monday tuesday um i've I've got my tears mixed up. Um, it was uh, Monday and Tuesday, so the first session on Monday and the last session on Tuesday. So the fastest session was the last session on Tuesday. Not everybody was in that. I think there was nine cars that, that took to the track early on Monday to get out there whilst it was quiet. However, here are the times from that session. 140.404, one forty point four five eight, one forty point seven four nine, one forty point nine two six, one forty point nine six eight, one forty one point zero, and that was the Porsche Penske Motorsports uh, nine sixty three, the Singleton Cadillac, the AF Corsa Ferrari number eighty three, i.e. the yellow one, the Kubica Schwarzman and Ife Yekar ahead of its two factory, quote-unquote, stable mates, and then the second of the Porsche uh, Penske Motorsports car. I would say that Jota in the earlier session put in a 40.5 as well with one of their cars. Uh, Peugeot were much closer than I think they thought would be. Um, still running last year's car. Had a chat with a couple of people from Peugeot. Really didn't want to go on the record. Uh, they've tested the new configuration of the car whereby it gets a vestigial rear wing to balance the aero because they're losing a lot of aero by putting the bigger rear tyres on. Um, and the balance of the car is what they are working on at the moment. It is a big change in weight, aerodynamic and centre of pressure balance of the car to put those bigger rear wheels on. Um, we won't see that before the next race, although there is a thought that because the car in its current form actually works best at Le Mans, they might not make the change until after Le Mans. If they can find one or two bits of um, improvement over the first few races of the year. So this is a big weekend coming up for Peugeot because once you pull the trigger on it, Nick, and you, and you change and you go to your quote-unquote Evo, you can't then go back. And and for Peugeot last year, Le Mans was probably its its strongest outing. Yes, yeah, certainly was. I mean, uh, the main question about that was, um, given lead times, if they've already had a conversation with, with uh, Michelin about tyre supply, that could be a, 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 block, a blocked-off road route anyway. True. That's a good it, because they won't have uh, an in um, 
uh, they won't necessarily have an indefinite supply of the tyres they're using at the moment. They go to the same tyres as everybody else. It doesn't make a difference. Yeah, I see what you mean. Uh, Proton were there or thereabouts. BMW, uh, Von Son Voss telling, I think it was John de Geest, <laughs> it was basically like a space programme trying to do these two things side by side. But they ran reliably. Uh, Alpine ran reliably, albeit a little bit off the pace. Um, we had uh, Isotta Flaschini. Now they've gone with a they've gone with a less experienced driver lineup, and they say that's deliberate because they don't want to put too much pressure on the rest of the program. They know they're not going to be up to pace to start with. Um, interesting, interesting way of going. Uh, Lamborghini Ironlands Links is uh, is out there. That car looks. That's the first time I've seen that car as well. And that car looks pretty uh, pretty aggressive, as you might imagine. Um, but all of the cars ran. All of them did plenty of laps in prototype. Of course, the uh, proof of the pudding is in the eating. And the eating doesn't start until Saturday. It is a Saturday race. Uh, no less interesting, Nick, in, in GT3, LMGT3, as we have to talk about... Um, What's the difference, I hear you ask, dear listener? Well, actually, quite a lot under the skin because the logging loom um, that you need to put in and things like torque sensors on the cars massively increase the running costs and the price of the cars. How much do you think, Nick, a GT, mm. uh, an LM GT3 drive shaft costs now? Do you know? Uh, have a guess four thousand dollars um that might be something reasonable for a gt3 but because of the gubbins that it has to have on it for the ac on the fia it is thirty thousand dollars what for a drive shaft yeah i mean i know they're all work sponsored teams so it's fine but that's well they're not that's the point they are not um and and uh, this uh, this new um, regime of balance of performance extends into the ELMS as well, which are are teams that run on even skinnier budgets um, than we than we have here. Um, one team owner who will remain nameless said it's that the changes to the cars have cost them 1.2 million pounds. I did the conversion Jesus. pounds for the season, for the season, and that I mean. It doesn't seem that long ago when 1.2 million would have been a GT3 running budget. Never mind to to change up. Um, however, that said, um, everybody got out uh, and did meaningful laps. Um, they're all getting used to the Goodyear tyres as well, of course, in uh, LMGT3. And uh, there were one or two little problems. Quite a lot of people getting pinged for track limits, which... Race control got um, <laughs> progressively more uh, lost lost their sense of humour about progressively <laughs> as they they went through the sessions. I saw at least two people getting parked for ten minutes because of repeated track limits violations. So it was warning, drive through, five minutes, ten minutes, and obviously you're not going to get pinged on your first one. So. Um, I think everybody now has the idea of where they can and can't cut the curbs. 
the... it's because they are the flat motorcycle curbs are being abused so much yeah yeah i think so um and, and also i mean again listen to the the prologue programs the drivers the thing that the driver said to me was um i found it really hard to learn this track because it's so featureless and there's so much of it that looks the same um mm. so you know again if there's a difference be oh this one's a fifth gear right oh no that was the fourth oh that was the fourth gear right under that looks the same that's a bit further on in the lap oh damn i've got off track again um a lot of talk about tires a lot of talk about tires particularly from the prototype runners um tire degradation and keeping the tires under the car are going to be it's going to be absolutely key to the race well don't forget that the qatar surface um was so difficult including the curbs that the Mm. um is it the first time we had a mandatory tire limit last time in f1 Correct. I know they're different tyres. I know they're stronger tyres in, in WEC, but it's, you know, it's still a point that that, that is giving the tyres so much trouble. It's not me. They're still going to give the better, the more better, yeah, better tyres, uh, more yeah. trouble as well. The more longevity, there's more longevity in the tyres by design because the the tyre company has been told to do something different in Formula One. Um, so I'm, I'm not blaming, I'm not saying one tyre manufacturer is better than, than another there. It's, it's literally horses for courses or... Um, tires for corners um, only 12 sets um, for the prototypes so there will have to be an element of of double stinting or we do get that information from uh, the SE or the FIA and from Michelin so we will be able to tell if someone's dropped off on performance if they're doing a double stint or they've put a stint back, a set of tires back on um, that they've they've used in the past what else do, do we need to talk about oh yeah hyperpole everybody's doing it's hyperpole um um right through the season and again all the top drivers have said to me we've loved practicing on it we love testing on it most of them were here last october or november but they don't think it's going to be easy to pass um the hypercars don't think it's going to be easy to pass another hypercar that mm. the the lap time between the lmgt3s and the hypercars you're talking 13, 14, 15 seconds. Uh, and, and by the way, it was a Ferrari. Um, it was a, uh, excuse me, it was an Aston Martin that was quickest with a 154.7 in the final uh, session um, of GT3. And I don't think anybody was quicker than that earlier uh, than that. No, that's a 44. So there's, there's, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 seconds. So passing the other traffic, there are places you can do it, but racing other cars in your same class, particularly for the prototype, is going to be hard. So track position, um, key, that means qualifying key and strategy key. Um, and, you know, as you heard in that interview, we just had um, Ferrari know that they messed up with Sebring last year and a race they could have won. Uh, they they trusted the computer when they shouldn't have, and it, it, we we may see the, the races at the front of the field. Uh, Nick won and lost in the pits. Absolutely, I mean it's it's, it's the closer the closer the action on the track gets, the more importance the pit stops have, mm. and pit work and teamwork. You know, when you've got yeah, if you've got a cushion of pace, you can afford to have errors. If you haven't got if you haven't got a cushion of pace, you can't afford to make any errors. And suddenly, if you've got, no one's got a cushion over anybody else, then it's going to come down to those. Mm few seconds you know which may or may not work out on in, in pit stop and of course it's luck and it's, it's you know and then your ability to definitely deal with traffic um is, is key as well i didn't know did you see the quote from ian james that was going around 
um, right. from Hard of Racing. He said that he one thing he thought was a real improvement was the loss of the LMP2 cars because it made racing much easier because they huh. because because you're not dealing with diff, three different types of car and therefore the GT3 is new new when the, where the hypercars would get past them and when they couldn't and the hypercars knew when to stay and when to stop and you and it, yeah. it, it made much better racing because you're not dealing with so many variables on on how people are going to come past you and of course it's a double variable with p2 because you've got some pros and some amateurs sorry gentlemen sorry yeah and the other thing is the cornering ability of the old lmgte cars was uh, was much closer to a a p2 uh uh a p2 in their final form and the pts had lost a lot of power as well so the g the old gte cars punched out of the corners really strongly so that, that, that's yeah. an interesting comment that i hadn't thought about i'll pick that up when we do some more interviews um from let's say uh, later in the week one thing that didn't happen that was meant to happen was uh, slipped into the uh, regulations, not slipped in the regulations stall. It was there in the regulations. It's been discussed at the manufacturer meetings. Um, I, I'm not sure which of the manufacturers have, have asked for this um, because I've been told two different things. So I did see a manufacturer's name earlier in the week, I think, in one of the interviews. Um, but I've now been told at least two others have uh, um, potentially set this wheel in motion some time ago. Um, it, uh, we if you remember we had Thierry Bouvet uh, on at Sebring last year explaining the new performance balancing situation where it was all about what was coming out of the car rather than what went in or anything like that and and that was graded at a hundred percent for each cars and then you balance them you balance them up not taking into effect drivers not taking into effect the track or anything it was all done empirically well. Um, it seems that there's been a, a bit of a lobby that says, well, that's all well and good, but there can be a disparity, as we often say, about how different cars make their lap time. And there's a disparity sometimes between top speed and acceleration in um, the balance of performance. So a car that might have a really good top speed doesn't have great acceleration or vice versa. So the proposal is that there will be a secondary BOP that effectively the BOP will be split to sub 200 kilometres an hour, 120 miles an hour, just over 125 miles an hour, um, and above 125 miles an hour, above 200 kilometres. Now, they were meant to try that out because there is a table for it in the regulations. They were meant to try that out in the uh, sessions of the prologue this week. They haven't been able to do that. At the moment, there's no clear... How are you going to do uh, that on a normally aspirated car? Uh, um, because you can't get a drone to drop five kilograms of weight into it as it goes past 200 kilometres an hour, and you can't no. change the boost pressure to... No, but you can change maps. It. I suppose you, you can could. change, you can really change maps. That's very and you, complex. And you can change, I presume you can change the electrical delivery as well. Because note, it's 200 kilometres an hour, which is above the deployment of mm. um, 190 kph. Um, so I presume it's that. Um, it, it, it's software driven, clearly. Right, yeah. um, and that's what they were hoping to try out this week with all the different manufacturers. Um, it, 
as I say, it appears that this has come from the manufacturers themselves, the, and they're asking about this um, to, to make racing more equal, so that you, you've got a car that doesn't just do the same lap time, well, but the thing, the but thing to remember effectively is, they're not disadvantages on long yeah, straights. But, but that's about drag, isn't it? Yes, that's when it's, it's you know some of it. No, it's virtually all. But at that point, once you get past 100, 100 miles an hour and 20 miles an hour, it's it's all about drag because that's the key influencer of of how you accelerate in speed. Much yeah, you need to add so much more power to get 10 kilometers more speed because it's mm. it's drag is the square of speed, isn't it? So, but but, but also you mentioned you know you've got turbocharged and non-turbocharged cars. I think they're all hybrids now, though, aren't they? There's there's not, not... The, no the Assetto Fraschini is not. Oh, is it not? No. So they haven't got a hybrid on that. Uh, no, I, don't, I believe on not, the no. IF. No. Okay. Um, but the Lamborghini does. Does the Lamborghini yes. have a hybrid? It's LMDH. It's US, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Uh, yes, of course, of course it does. Yes. Um, and I'm being silly. Um, uh, it's all. It's up for discussion at the moment. There is no. It's not, I'm not written saying it's a bad stone. idea. I just think no, it's no, no, no. Unnecessarily complicated sometimes. Yeah, I, I don't want to have to explain it during the course <laughs> of a broadcast. But if it gives us better racing and closer racing, um, then fine. It's, I suppose, in some respects, it is um, sort of the reverse of DRS in that it's bringing everybody closer together, not making people behind go faster. But it's done with software rather than aero. Um, and it's not written in stone that it will come in after this race or that race. Um, it's being considered and they want to do some more testing with it. And they haven't had the opportunity to do so here. I, I've, I had a brief chat, an all too brief chat with Thierry in the pit lane last Sunday when we were supposed to have cars on the track. And he says he'll pop in to our broadcast um, either, I think probably during the race, we'll get Thierry in during the race and, and get him to not only explain how it works, but the, the thinking behind it. But ultimately, my um, elevator pitch is it's to balance top speed and acceleration between different cars. Um, and he's, he's nodded in agreement with that, and he's much, much cleverer than me. I mean, I'm damning him with prayers there, clearly. But um, he he was, yes, he said that's quite a good way of describing it. And I'll tell you how we're going to do it and what factors are, are being used to measure it. So uh, expect a bit of a technical update during the race. Friday and Saturday. Friday and Saturday. Keep telling yourself that. And that, Mr. Gray, is uh, not the only races that are Friday and Saturday this week. No, it's not the only race that's happening on Friday and Saturday this week. And I think that uh, brings us on to... Uh, I've been teasing you all uh, evening with uh, stories that were potential pointless press releases of the week. Uh, oh. let's, let's do the real thing. The news that no one is talking about. The stories that aren't reported anywhere else. And for valid editorial reasons. Pointless press release of the week on Midweek Motorsport. And, uh, well, as the, eyes of the wo- <laughs> as the eyes of the motorsport world turn to Bahrain for the first Grand Prix of the 2024 Formula One R season... Yes. That means we can bring in our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon. Hooray! 
What do you think the second half of that sentence is? Greatest spectacle of Earth? Of racing? No. Uh, no. Let's not go back to our one, please. Uh, as the eyes of the Facebook world tend to Bahrain for the first Formula 1 Grand Prix of the 2024 Formula 1 R season, new retail data shows that nearly a quarter of Aston Martin customers are selecting one of the Mark's nine exclusive shades of green for their dream car. What? Sorry, who? <laughs> <laughs> Has this come from so, Formula 1 or from Aston? Hang on. So... They say twenty-five percent. Twenty-four percent, nearly a quarter. So seventy-six percent aren't correct. And there's nine shades of green. Yes. Well, it's like that, that, that shades really is... of silver, wasn't it? Yeah, Aston... that, that is amazing. Aston Martin Racing Green was introduced by the mark to celebrate its return to the pinnacle of motorsport in 2021, and proved an immediate hit with customers, representing around seven percent of new car orders in the immediate 12 months following Aston Martin's return Wait, to the grid. How is that a hit? The trend has consistently increased year on year, with 12 percent of new Aston Martins now adorned in the official okay. Aston Martin Racing Green colour, almost twice as many as the second most popular exterior option, Xenon Grey. Right, OK. Yeah. Well, let's be honest about yeah. this. Don't forget that not every Aston that leaves the factory has actually got a customer attached to it. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure that's the case now, is it? It, it wasn't uh, for a little it, while. It, it, mm, don't know. Let's not... Let's not let, All right. OK, that, that was true. Perhaps it isn't anymore. Marco okay. Mattiacci, Global Chief Brand and Commercial Officer, said, Aston Martin was born out of racing, so 111 years mm-hmm. on, it's fitting that this iconic brand sits at the pinnacle of motorsport, supercharging our ultra-luxury and high-performance credentials while engaging a passionate community. Mm. That, was just, that was just word salad, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just as James Bond made the silver birch synonymous with DB5 and the brand more broadly, Aston Martin's on-track success is putting Aston Martin Racing Green at the forefront of customers' minds when purchasing their Aston Martin. In fairness, my hallway is California Sage. We actually matched that to a... to a... Uh, I was going to say a swatch. I did, you don't call them a, a, a swatch. I, I, do. I call them swatches. I had a California yeah. Sage car. What did you have? It's a TVR Speed 6. Ah, very nice. And, they and that was Aston Martin, California Sage. They would paint it any colour you wanted, no extra cost, because that was why TVR went out of business. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Aston Martin actually um, officially um, unveiled the GT4 car, which was... Um, they did come on to that. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Helped by Aston Martin's main F1 livery colour and the company's refreshed brand identity, demand for different shades of green has soared across its high-performance product portfolio. Aston Martin now extends its core colour palette to nine green variants, up from four offered at the beginning of 2021, prior to Aston Martin's return to F1. For discerning customers looking for a more exclusive palette of colours, the Q by Aston Martin bespoke division Mm. has helped customers specify cars in 30 unique shades of green. Jeez. Have you ever had a green car, John? Um, Have I ever had a green car? My dad had a couple of green cars. My mum had had one one in the 70s. My dad had a Vauxhall Viva HP OLV 223F. Square front. Um, Yes, with the little oblong headlights that everything had in those days. Um, That's... 
that was a light lime green, but as it uh, we bought it as, as a wreck. No, no, no. We bought it as a wreck, and a friend of ours um, fixed it all up and put it on the road because my dad couldn't really afford a new car, and he sp- and it was sprayed Goodwood Green Starfire, I think it was called. Blimey. It was Goodwood Green Metallic with a black vinyl roof. And it was, that was a 19, as I said, it was an F, so that was a 67, 68 car. And Goodwood Green Starfire was only supposed to come out in the 69 cars, or was it 69, 70, I can't remember. And it very much upset our newsagent on Vallette Road in Sunderland, because he'd been, <laughs> he'd been told, he'd been told by the supplying Vauxhall garage oh, that God. he would have the first Goodwood Green metallic uh, Vauxhall in Sunderland. It was Adams and Gibbons, I seem to remember, the, the Vauxhall dealer in those days. And my dad rocks up before the 1st of uh, August, it would have been in those days, in this car that our very good and much-missed friend, Mickey Walker, had uh, repainted for him. Um, and there it was. And he, uh, it was a, there was a bit of consternation. Um, I mean, not our fault, but, you know, there you go. So, yes, my dad had one. Um, I'm trying to think down through... I don't think I've owned a green car. I've certainly driven some green cars. Um, I think we had a green Audi for a short while. Um, oh, oh, of course I, of course I've had a green car. My, my Jaguar, my XJ6, my XJ, uh, the, the, the straight six four litre Sport was a green colour. Yes, that was a lovely green colour. The one that Joe had for a while. So yes, I have had a green car. Nick, have you often thought to be young? Uh, yeah, I also had that TVR. My first, my first car, my uh, uh, Triumph Dolomite was green, which I very proudly added a gold pinstripe to. A stick on one? Yes, of course. Well, yeah, okay. yeah, it, look, it's like, there with a paintbrush. Because like me, I'm, I'm steady enough to a handwritten gold paintstripe. I mean, that would just look like, a, look like a, a, an attack by a two-year-old with a crayon. <laughs> my, my XJ is... My XJ, um, my XJ had hand painted coast flags on it. Same yeah, not same. by me. <laughs> no, no, not by <laughs> me either. Gold metallic uh, coach lights in paint underneath the the lacquer coat. Very good. Very good my, indeed. My mother had a uh, metallic green uh, Fiat one two seven at the uh, start of the nineteen eighties, uh, nice. replacing her metallic silver one. So green is the new silver as far as Aston Martin um, is concerned. Pretty much, um, yes. Interesting. Uh, Aston well, Martin's with Aston association Martin? with the colour green began many decades ago. Oh, yes, it did, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, since then, Aston Martin race cars have competed in various shades of green before resting on the now familiar green which adorns its Formula 1 cars on the grid. Further building on the synergies between road and track, early this month, Aston Martin boldly launched... It's new Vantage Sports car and Vantage GT3 mm. race on the same day as the Mark's AMR24 F1 Challenger yep. was unveiled ahead of its competitive debut at the Gulf Air Bahrain Grand Prix this weekend. Yes, of course, that car has already raced. It raced in the hands of uh, Rebel Rock, the GT4 car, in a um, sort of camel stripe colours. Uh, and we had Adam Carter talking about it a couple of weeks ago, if you remember, on this very show. Go back and listen again. If you had, uh, there was one other thing I wanted to talk about. By the way, um, you wanted to talk about the GT4 car? No, no. Well, the GT4 car we've mentioned now. That's fine. Okay. 
a couple, a couple of things that, that I forgot to mention, and they're both Porsche-orientated, one from Qatar and one not from Qatar. You'll remember we were talking about a new crankshaft for yes. the Porsche 963, effectively a 90-degree crankshaft. Um, that's now certainly not happening until after Le Mans, if at all. Urs Kratl, who's the uh, LMDH programme director from the factory, was talking to uh, John de Geese uh, yesterday, I think, or maybe the day before. Um, so that's not happening, for certainly till after Le Mans. And the other thing is, uh, I think in between programmes, or maybe we talked about this last week, um, Dynamic GT um, split up with Port, with Ford. Um, they were supposed to be running Ford GTs in the GT World Challenge Europe, and they've gone back to Porsche. They've gone back to being a Porsche team. But yeah. Ford will still be um, entering GT World Challenge Europe um, with Christian Reid's Proton team. It's an extra car for Proton. Um, in, in, and, as, and I see... Um, I see that it, it, there is a pro car, full pro car in that. So you, there will still be a full factory Ford, full factory Ford, pro car in the Spa 24. Because a lot of people were disappointed that they didn't think they were going to see the Mustang uh, in the Spa 24. That has uh, changed in the last day, I think, or thereabouts. Sorry, that was just a bit of extra. Uh, extra news on the sports car front. Where to next, Tim? Uh, to Sebring. Oh, right. Off uh, the 12 hours is uh, not far away, away now. Less than, that, Less than a month away weeks. now, yes. Yeah. What do I have in common with mm-hmm. the Grand Marshal of the Mobile 112 Hours of Sebring presented by Cadillac? You're called, both Ooh. called Tim. No, because he's called Fred. It's Fred McGriff from the um, Atlanta Braves. Uh, he's a Hall of Famer. I know that. That's all I know. Yes, as well him. as the Tampa Bay Rays, because the Tampa Bay was his home club, San Diego Padres, Toronto Blue Jays, Chicago Cubs, and LA Dodgers. Right. Uh, MVP in the 1994 um, He's left-handed. All-Star game. He is left-handed, Yes. There you go. I should have got that earlier. You should have got that a lot earlier because clearly yes. I've I wasn't uh, drafted in the ninth round of the nineteen eighty one amateur draft. Did you no. have ten seasons with at least thirty home runs in no. a single season? I'm not five a five time all star. No. And okay. I haven't hit four hundred and ninety three career home runs. No. Uh he's uh he ties twenty ninth all time with Lou Gehrig. Um in baseball stats, uh, and also the start. I have never, yes, I have never asked drivers to start their engines. No, have you? And not? actually, he is not either at this point. But no, three so weeks these time, coming. Yes, yeah. um, should point out actually that there has been a schedule, uh, a couple of schedule changes for Sebring. Yes, nine forty et. Um, and it's only four hours difference to the UK at that point. Um, so it's plus uh, the UK's four hours on Saturday. Again, Saturday races. We're talking a lot about them. Saturday, March the 16th. Uh, however, um, moving it forward means there's no morning warm-up for us to cover. Um, so once we finish on Friday, we have finished on Friday. And the cars will then not be back out until they're rolled out onto the grid until... 
the Mobile One 12 as I say, bring gets its green flag at 20 minutes before 10 o'clock on Saturday morning local time. Um, the and, and as I say, reminder that the US clocks have sprung forward by then, and um, everywhere else won't have. So just be aware of that. Did we know that Ayanch and Guven is uh, going to do the DTM this year? Um, now, yes, we probably did, but maybe I was told I couldn't talk about it. Uh, no, I think we talked about it. Um, he's back to do it. He did it last year. It's, it, it, I'm, I'm not making that up, am I? Uh, uh, oh, yes, he did do it, but he's changed teams. He's uh, going to be doing it with Manti this year. Right. But so still you, did you Porsche. talk to him about that at Bathurst? Yes, I think we did. He's, he's effectively replacing Dennis Olsen, isn't he? Yes, uh, um, alongside Thomas Prining. Uh, another former young driver. Um, uh, oh, and if st- uh, also uh, Project One Motorsport. Yes, which used to bankruptcy. be it used to be Ptolemy's, <coughs> Um If you remember, it used to be Tolomit, and they've had great success with Porsches in single make ch- uh, championships and WEC. In fact, there were the title winners in GTM in 2018 2019 it would have been uh, that was the that, that was, was the, the year that, that went between yeah, yeah so we were both right um, after 30 years they have filed for bank saying they have closed their doors that is very um, very sad news uh, there for, for that team and I haven't really got to the bottom of it yet and um, as you might imagine they haven't said very much in their um, press release um I think it was Monday it came out. Uh, they've got a, a sister a sister company, um, which is like a track day uh, experience called Project One Drive Time, and, and both of the businesses have have closed down. There's, there's no attributed... Um, there's no attributed... Uh, there's quotes, but they're not attributed to any one person. And that, Tim Gray... Is all we have time for. Uh, I'm going to go now and uh, you and Nick are going to come back in about 30 seconds and talk about Formula 1 until midnight OK, that seems, yes. seems reasonable uh, thank you to uh, you two for being with us, don't forget it's Friday and Saturday for our live content uh, the schedule is on the bottom of the homepage and it uh, will update to your browser time if you are not in the UK right Nick, have you got your notes ready for Formula 1? starts on Saturday he starts on Saturday that's all there's time for tonight thank you for joining us there's no time to explain the Llama is getting its Formula One pass this programme is a Radio Show Limited production for more subscribe to Midweek Motorsport wherever you get your podcasts